Welcome. You're listening to Living Faith Podcast. Starry sky and see your hand in time and mind to lead me through the night. Last week I began a series of messages from the Old Testament prophet Jonah. Lots of people are familiar with the prophet Jonah. Yet I believe there are stories much more than his serving as fish bait. There's more to the story. The book itself is short. I hope I invited previously that you will read this prophet weekly uh, before each Sunday. I had someone tell me today, you said it was four chapters. I didn't realize they were that short of chapters. It is a short book. In the message last week, I emphasized something that we learn about God from Jonah. He's more than a judge, but he is a God full of compassion and wants to bring back any who are away from him. Later in the series, I'll come back to some things we learn about God from Jonah. But today, I want to turn our attention to things that Jonah teaches about the human condition. Jonah talks a lot about us. What can we learn about us from Jonah? I would tell you today, one thing we learn about humanity, the human condition, is our penchant, our penchant, we, to deny God. Something about humanity. We've got a penchant to deny God. Notice with me the scripture. It's on the screen. Jonah chapter 1 and verse number 1. It's what we read last week. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Verse 2, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Verse number 3, here we go. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket, went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. You know, in the Bible, there are a couple of other prophets who prophesied to other nations who weren't Israelites. They, there's a couple prophets who told the rest of the world some things they needed to hear. But by and large, most of the Old Testament prophets spoke just to the Jewish people, to the Israelites. Jonah is the first missionary called to a pagan people. Jonah's the first missionary that God said, listen, I don't just want you to share a message. I don't want you to send an email blast. I don't want you posting on social media. I want you to go where those folks are. And I want you to share this message with them. More on where he went and the evils of Nineveh. You can go to our website, livingfaithtabernacle.org, and listen to last week's message. The Assyrians were the people of Nineveh. They were more than pagans. They were arch enemies of Israel. And so Jonah's entry into Nineveh and a prophecy against Nineveh. I want us to understand, 
That would be akin to a Jewish rabbi going to the center of Berlin at the height of the Nazi regime. That's what God asked Jonah to do. And as that prospect and doing that, Jonah simply said, no, I'm not doing that. And so, interestingly, in his human design, he thought, you know what? The God who created heaven and the earth, the God who is all-knowing and omniscient, everywhere present, I'm going to run where he can't find me. Is that great or what? He takes off in the opposite direction. It's, It's believed that Tarshish was on the western known edge of the world, what the world knew at that time, the westernmost edge. Jonah was from a city uh, that was called Gath-Hefer. And then the city that it was a little northeast of Nazareth, it was in that region. Now Nineveh is all the way to the east, and it's on the Tigris River. So God calls Jonah, I want you to go to the east, and he went instead to the west. God called him to go across land and go to Tarshish, and instead he went to sea. Rather than hiring a camel to get where he was supposed to go, he encountered a boat. Instead of going to the big city where he was called, he went, if you will, to the end of the world as he know it. Jonah blatantly denied God. Look at verse number 5 of chapter 1. Scripture says he's in this boat that he's hired. He's with the sailors. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah is sound asleep in the hold. Now, First of all, I want you to note this. Jonah never questioned that the command to go to Nineveh was from God. We don't read anything about Jonah saying, you know what, I ate a lot of pizza before bed last night. That was just a nightmare. No, he knows God has spoken to me. His problem was with the message. He knowingly ran from God, almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, that God. Jonah ran from that God. And so the sailors are frantically battling a ferocious storm, and Jonah is sound asleep downstairs. Now, it's intriguing to me because he's just denied God, and he's not looking over his shoulder. There's no fear. There's no nervousness. You have just said, you know what, I heard you, God. No. And there's no intimidation. He is calmly denying God. A few verses later, the sailors are finally at wit's end. And in verse number 12 of chapter 1 in the book of Jonah, Noah, or Jonah says this, Throw me into the sea, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm all my fault. Throw me into the sea. Now, think with me. If he's thrown into the sea, he's not fulfilling the call of God. He's not saying, okay, I give in, I'll do what God has said. Rather, his death at sea is the ultimate escape from the call of God. It's a final denial of God's instruction. 
And then he's sinking at sea. Jonah finally prays. But I would tell you that even in his prayer, we see denial. Look at chapter 2 and verses 3 and 4 of the same book. Here's Jonah's prayer. He's talking to God. You threw me into the ocean depths. That's what he told God. Verse number 4. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence. Now, here denial is wrapped in blame. Put it on God. Well, Jonah says, you threw me into the ocean. Come on, that's not what happened. The sailors threw him into the ocean, and Jonah suggested it. But in his prayer, he says to God, you threw me into the ocean. He he has the denying strength, the argumentative fortitude of a human to look at God and said, you drove me away from your presence. No, he didn't. God said, hey, I've got a mission for you. God said to Jonah, I have purpose for your life. I've got something specific I'd like to work through you. And Jonah, you ran. Yet here he is praying, trying to turn around, and he's pointing his finger at God and saying, you drove me away. Interesting. Even in his prayer, there's blame in his voice. Later on, Jonah actually caved in. He goes to Nineveh. He declares the Lord's message. He does the preaching. And in Jonah chapter 4, we read this. Jonah 4 in verse 1, God decided, you know what? I'm not going to destroy Nineveh. I'm going to spare them. And in verse number 1, it says this. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah. He became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. Now listen, Jonah knew a lot about God. Then look at verse number three. Here's a good one. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. He's greatly upset. He's very angry. He complains. Just kill me now. I'd rather be dead if what I predicted won't happen. What I predicted. Can I remind us this afternoon? Jonah didn't predict anything. Jonah was merely... A mouthpiece. He repeated what God said he would do. He was the delivery method, if you will. If it was a letter that was written, he would have been the paper and the pen that delivered. He's not the author of the message. God is the one who made the declaration. Jonah wasn't responsible for the statement, but Jonah blames God for making him look bad. Look, God, this is on you. You're making me look bad. And he denies God's prerogative to extend grace to Nineveh. In essence, Jonah's saying to God, you blew it on this one. And I knew you would. Amazing nerve. Look at verse number 5 of Jonah chapter 4. Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. 
You know, we recognize Jonah finally went to the city and he preached against it, what God told him to do. But I would tell you that Jonah's obedience was just a line item obedience. I'm going to do what you said, but only what you said, and no more than any little letter and detail. That's all I'm doing. That's all I will participate in. He didn't stay around the city. He didn't offer the Assyrians any further assistance when they acted like they wanted to change. He didn't coach them on how to please God. No, Jonah had no desire to see God's goals realized. He just checked off on the list. I did the little line item that he called me to do. And so then he left town and he gets a viewpoint and he sits down to watch. And you know what? It's easy to imagine what Jonah was waiting on is, well, I hope Nineveh blows it and God goes ahead and wipes those jokers right off the face of the earth. Denying God's purpose. Look at the next couple of verses, 6 and 7. The Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. It, it appears and spreads its broad leaves over Jonah's head. He shades Jonah from the sun. This eases Jonah's discomfort. He's grateful for the plant. Verse 7, but God arranged for a worm. And the next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant and it's withered away. Now look at the next verse. As the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Here he is, one to die again. Death is certainly better than living like this, he explained. Then God said to Jonah, look at verse 9. Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Look what Jonah says. Yes! <laughs> Come on, we got to laugh. Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Listen to this guy. Listen, we can laugh and think that's him, but he's a fellow human. Your fellow human got his arms all rolled up. What, is the guy 12 years old? Got his arms folded, his head down, his lips sticking out. Yeah, a plant died. I want to die. Really? It's all over. Your green thumb has ended. The plant's dead. Now you want to die. Really? And you know what? That's one verse away from the end of of the story. And I got to look at it like this. After everything that's taken place in Jonah's life in these handful of days, and at the end of the story, it appears he hasn't changed much at all. He's still arguing with God. You know, this afternoon, perhaps, we won't say it out loud. But I think there's a good chance that many of us, our laughter is a little bit nervous laughter. And we can see some of ourselves in Jonah. Maybe not in the exact same circumstances, but reacting to the Lord God Almighty in, in similar ways. And I, I pose a question this afternoon, why do we do that? What is it about our human condition that tends to deny God? Why do we do that? You know, Jonah wanted a God of his own making. 
He wanted a God who acted like Jonah predicted he would act, who would do things like Jonah thought he should do. Jonah wanted a God who destroys bad people like the Ninevites as Jonah defined and expected. At the same time, Jonah wanted a God who would bless people, people Jonah thought ought to be blessed. But when the real God, not Jonah's counterfeit God, but when the real God kept showing up, Jonah is furious and not only furious he's despondent and wants to see his own life end it's amazing to me as long as Jonah was serving a God that fit into his own ideas and his own expectations then he was fine with God as long as God's interest matched Joseph or Jonah's interest Jonah was fine but when God wanted something different than Jonah did. Suddenly, things changed. And and as soon as Jonah had to choose between the true, almighty, pure, and holy, omnipotent God and his own design on God, then Jonah denied the true God. And he did so repeatedly and blatantly and angrily and even calmly denied It's as if Jonah would say, you know what, if I can't explain God, then God must be wrong. And I'll not do what he's asked me to do. You know, humanity tends to deny God because we tend to choose ourselves above God. We like a God who validates our own interests and our expectations and our definitions. But I'll remind us today, we're uncomfortable with a God who is contrary to our interests and different from our expectations or beyond our definitions. In the end, it's because of our perpetual self-interest that we, we forget God created humanity, but we act as if humanity has created God. Human self-interest provokes us to deny God. And here's the thing. When self-interest flourishes and blossoms, then full-blown arrogance flowers. Denying God comes easy when we're rooted in human arrogance. One of the main reasons that we trust God too little is because we trust our own wisdom too much. We think we know far better than God how our lives should go and what would truly make us happy. We know better than God knows. As one pastor wrote, and I'll quote him verbatim, all sin against God is grounded in refusal to believe that God is more dedicated to our good, more aware of what that is than we are. 
We distrust God because we assume he is not truly for us. And if we give him complete control, we're going to be miserable people. Sin always begins with assassinating God's character. You know, it wasn't long after God's creation in those early days, the serpent told the human race that disobeying God was the only way to realize their true happiness and their true potential. To the, to the first humans, about one banned tree, the serpent slithers up to those two, to one at first, and said, God knows your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. You'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. The heart of that message and the serpent's lie is this. God is holding you back. And that delusion is sunken deep into the hearts of humanity, the suspicion that God is is somehow cheating us is a powerful suspicion. Social psychologist Jonathan Haidt concludes from his research, self-righteousness is the normal human condition. There's something in us that wants to believe that we're better off without God. So we deny God through human arrogance. Self-interest, arrogance, they're strong, strong forces. They have deep, deep roots into the human condition. Jonah's recurring denials in anger and in calmness and in in blame, they reflect the difficulty of human will that all of us have within us. They reflect the challenges. And one said there was a fatal flaw in Jonah's character and it remained hidden as long as his life was going good. But it was only through complete failure that he could begin to recognize and change it. If we read Jonah's prayer in his depths, we find the failure in how deep he went. Jonah said, I cried to the Lord in my great trouble from the land of the dead. He says, I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. He says, my life was slipping away. Uh, Apparently, Jonah, before he turned and said, you know what, I don't know everything. Before Jonah was able to say, you know what, I don't have uh, the best ideas. I might not have the best motives. Before he was able to do that, apparently, he was at the very bottom, the very roots of the mountains before returning to the Lord. One Bible scholar wrote that when we reject and disobey God like Jonah did, it takes radical treatment if it's going to be remedied. 
It's easy for you and I today to pick up a Bible and point back at history at a man named Jonah who existed long ago in another land in another condition. But I I, I preached this afternoon that Jonah's condition was the human condition. And you and I as fellow humans have similar battles and similar struggles. And can I, I say today with a smile on my face, as Jonah was bullheaded, so can you and I be bullheaded? Like Jonah, when we're doing well enough, we tend to significant stubbornness toward God. And in our foolish pride, we deny Him again and again we deny. And like Jonah, we often withhold surrender until all of our human alternatives are exhausted. And it's only when we reach the very bottom, when all of our schemes and our resources are are broken down and exhausted, then we finally open up to learning how we might completely depend on God. It's often been said and remains very true, you never realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. You see, in the human condition, when self-interest and arrogance are allowed to run free, They take us to the deepest depths away from the Lord. Preacher, don't leave us here, man. What's the alternative? What are our choices? Is there a way out? Can we overcome the deep-rooted human condition that goes contrary to God. Is there a way out? I could easily say, well, instead of denying God, accept Him. Well, there's a simple solution, but Lord knows it's not easy. Because in order to accept, somehow I have to get victory over self-interest. In order to accept God, somehow I have to crush and leap over human arrogance. If I'm going to accept God, I've got to break those two things. And how do we beat those things in our lives? I would say today, we overcome powerful hindrances like these by knowing God's greatness. Greatness that is far and above ours. We overcome these by knowing that His desires for you and I are far greater and the very best He could have for His creation. Listen, while we're in the deepest of personal struggles, we would do good to remember the words of Job. Job went through some stuff. Job endured some stuff. Job was pretty low. If there was ever a time for humanity's strengths and deep-rooted self-interest to arise, it would have been in 
Job's life. If there was ever a chance for arrogance to take over, it would have been in the successful man Job. But instead, Job said, God stretches the northern sky over empty space and He hangs the earth upon nothing. Job said, God wraps the rain in thick clouds and the clouds don't burst with the weight. Job says, God covers the face of the moon, shrouding it with His clouds. God created the horizon when He separated the waters and set boundaries between day and night. Job recorded God's Spirit made the heavens beautiful and these are just the beginning of all that he does just a whisper of his power who then can comprehend the thunder of God's power that's the kind of attitude that breaks human arrogance I would tell us today that those kinds of revelations and realizations about God and His greatness, they should have echoed in the ears and minds of Adam and Eve. As the serpent said, God's cheating you. God's holding you back. Boy, you would really be something if you could eat from that one tree. In reaction and response to that, let me, isn't it interesting that Adam and Eve never asked God about that? Adam and Eve said, listen, serpent, I happen to walk with God every night in the cool of the day. I'm going to run this by him on our walk tonight. I'm going to see what he has to say about this one tree. No, they didn't pause. They didn't stop. There's something about the human condition that likes to buy into the fact that God is cheating humanity somehow, holding us short of what we'd really have. You know what? Adam and Eve needed to hear the words of Job. Adam and Eve needed a little bit of God perspective and God greatness in their understanding. And Adam and Eve would have stepped back a moment and had some counsel with their Creator. Perhaps God would have eliminated their confusions with some thoughts like these. Maybe God would have said to Adam and Eve, Hey, it's true, I don't want you eating from that one tree, but let me take you by the shoulder, Eve, and let me turn you around. Why don't you let your gaze and your eyes stretch across this incredible and fabulous garden that I have built and given to you that is known as Eden? Why don't you lay your eyes on the thousands of fruits that I have provided because I love you? Why don't you lay your eyes on the the acres of trees that I have provided for you. Let me ask you, Adam and Eve, who put you here? Who placed you here? Let me ask you something, Adam and Eve, who breathed into you the breath of life? Let me ask you, Adam and Eve, how did you get where you are today? I didn't tell you to only eat from one tree. I could have done that. 
I could have said, here's the tree you'll eat from. God pulled that on occasion. Remember the manna from heaven? Remember the quail that fell? When people got to be really stinking ornery, God showed them how bad it could be. He could have said to Adam and Eve, you just eat from this one tree and look all around you. You can't have any of that. But that's not the way God acted. God could have said, hey, Adam and Eve, can I ask you, you looked on that tree and you saw that it was beautiful and that it was good. God might have said, can I ask you, who gave you eyes? Who helped you to see? Who helped you to recognize what was beautiful? Who helped you to see what is pretty and awesome and what I've created? Will you remember you only know beauty because of me? You can only see because of me. As your teeth pierce that fruit and your lips surround that outer core and you begin to savor the flavor, God might have said, can I remind you who created your mouth? Can I remind you who created your tongue and put taste buds there? Can I remind you who gave you the ability and the understanding to appreciate the textures of food and the flavorings as they mix? God might have said to Adam and Eve, Ask yourselves all that you have. God might have said, why did I do all of these things? And before they could answer, God might have said, I did them for your benefit. I did them for you. I'm not eating from the trees. I'm not watching the beauty. I'm not enjoying the garden. I did that for you. To modern day God deniers, the Lord might say this. Who? Who came from heaven into this world to live among you? God might say to today's deniers, who became a man to fully understand your human experience? God might say, who took on flesh so that I too might know the battle of self-interest and human arrogance? God might say, who spent years teaching and training 12 ordinary guys to carry my invitation into the future and the centuries ahead? God might say, who undeservedly took the stripes of a whip laden with glass shards till my innards were laid open so that you could be healed. God today might say, who suffered, humiliated, strewn, naked on a cross, public shame and humiliation. Who did that? God might speak to the deniers today and say who sent his spirit on the day of Pentecost to gift power into your life so that you might have victory over self and over arrogance. And you got to ask yourselves why? 
Why would God do these things? And I, I think we can hear the clarion call of a loving God who says, I did them for your benefit. I did them for your good. I, I did them for your success. I, I did them so that you could be reunited with me. I did them so that you could live with me for eternity. I believe God would speak to every person. I believe what God would say this, no for yourself my greatness. I believe God would say no that my interest for you is your very best. I believe God would say, would you know, you are my creation, my ultimate project in this world. On the last day, I created you. After practicing on everything else, after warming up on mere spaces and galaxies and greenery and animals, after warming up on the sea waters and the wildlife within them, I got to my ultimate experience and I created you. And after you, I took a day off. After you, I said, that's it. That's the best I can do. I have created my primary creation. I believe God would speak into the minds of every individual that we would hear. God is saying, I want you to succeed in the best possible way I have provided for your success, for your joy, for your peace, for your happiness, for your kingdom fulfillment. Not just in eternity, but here and now in this world, in these neighborhoods, in this city, in the workplace, in my family. I want the very best for you. With that kind of knowledge, deniers become acceptors in that kind of knowledge we don't seek to escape we choose to follow that kind of knowledge we don't sink to the depths we succeed to his highest heights wherever you sit in this building it helps you to pray, maybe close your eyes. But I, I invite anybody and everybody who's understood a just a, even just a sliver of what I've said this afternoon, would you extend a hand to heaven and just thank God for who He is? Would you, would you do that in this place? Come on, front to back and side to side. Come on, begin to speak. Talk to God right now. Speaking to God. We call that prayer. That's just a fancy thing for conversation. It's a, it's a fancy description of saying, come on, be real with God. Open up your mind and your spirit and your understanding and say, God, I, I thank You for who You are. 
Thank you, Lord, for making me the pinnacle of your creation. Thank you, O Lord, for your interest in my life. Thank you, O God, for your power and your glory. Thank you, O God, for the thousands of trees in Eden. Thank you, God, for the acres of fruit that you've provided. Thank you, O Lord, for the vegetation that's beyond my count and number. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, the presence of the Lord is in this place again and still. Magnify Him in this house. Maybe you want to stand to your feet right now. Maybe you want to reach out to the Lord. Maybe some of you. You've been listening to the Living Faith Everett podcast series. Tune in next week for the next part of this series, or join us online at livingfaithministries.church. Peace.